When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back out to smart. Fakes the pass all the time. Three. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. The Celtics, they take Game 4 in a 102-83 blowout, sending the series back to Miami for Game 5. With it all tied up, the Celtics are now two wins away from the NBA Finals. Joining us to talk all about it, Wayne Spoony. Spoons, how you doing, sir? Ben, I was down bad yesterday. Oh, yes. I was down <laughs> real bad. Probably the lowest I've been since like that game seven loss to LeBron when Tatum's rookie year or maybe mm-hmm. 2020 against the heat when we were down three, two and it's like, Oh my God, we're going to lose this series. Aren't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yesterday made me a hell of a lot more confident, made me feel a hell of a lot better, but there's still a long way to go. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I was super confident after game two Game three put me in my place. I'm in a much better headspace now. Cautiously optimistic at this point. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I've I've known you as, as best as you can know someone through Zoom talking about right. basketball for a year. Uh, I've never seen you like that before um, yeah. to get that low, um, even after game five against the Bucks. So um, yeah, I think we're all brought down a little bit by the potential reality that the series was maybe not going to end in our favor and we wouldn't make the finals, but that was a pretty convincing win, uh, which we'll get into. I've got my first question here for you, Spoons. We've basically both just answered it. So the Celtics, they respond, they limit their turnovers and they beat the Heat by 20 points. How much was your faith in the Celtics and your confidence in the series restored after this game? Like, are you back to like Celtics are winning the series or it seems if you listen to other podcasts, I was listening to Zach Lowe before we recorded, it's largely inconclusive at this point. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Vegas has us like a slight favorite to win the series. That's probably what I would say. If this were like a different team, but the same talent level as Miami, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. I would be very, very confident. But it's just like something about this Miami team and they're laden with veterans and Spo is just an incredible coach. Like, make no mistake. We are way more talented than this Miami team, in my opinion. Uh, But it just seems like they do all these things on the margins that keep them in games or, you know, 
they can just blow you out in a quarter when they're kind of getting away with stuff and do all this dirty stuff, take Tatum out of the game, take Grant Williams out of the game, just like purely on the mental side, you know, not even the, the actual basketball side. So I, I, I think that's really where my concern still lies in like, we should beat them. We should absolutely, like you saw it last night, they cannot hang with us when our head is in the game and we're playing well. But are you, you know, would you bet your life that we're going to keep our heads in the game and play well the rest of this series? I don't think I would. <laughs> My life? No. Um, a small amount of money. Yeah. yeah negligible amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. But um, like health is the factor, right? Like we, we see yeah. we've got a healthy Al Horford, uh, a relatively speaking healthy Time Lord and a solid ish replacement for Marcus Smart at that starting right. point guard position in Derek White. And then we take care of the ball. The Heat had in game four, seven points off turnovers versus 33 points off turnovers in game three. And then this is per synergy. Both teams had 92 half court plays in game four. Boston scored on 41 of those 92 half court plays. Miami only scored on 28 of those 92 half court plays. So take care of the ball, limit the scope of Miami's offense to half court as much as you can. Um, helps that we out-rebounded the heat by like 21 boards as well, 60 to 39. And and suddenly you're, you're suddenly you're funneling the heat into a style of play that is just not sustainable for them. So that uh, easier said than done. And like you said, Spoons, Spo and, and Co are going to mix it up a little bit for game nice. five and probably throw, thank you, something at us that we haven't uh, seen before. Um, I suppose we should talk about Jason Tatum who sort of spearheaded the response in that he responded himself. Did he have the quote-unquote, response game that you were hoping for? Uh, do you, I will give you... How about uh, I give you 1 to 10? I will say, Please. like, 10 is, you know, the 46-point game against Milwaukee. I would give him, like, a 7.5 on this game. And really, he had three turnovers, which is one too many for my taste, and he just could not get a three to go. But 31, 8, and 5... He was a plus 37 in a game we wow. ended up winning by, I mean, 20 is a huge margin, but he was still plus 17 more than that, which is absolutely yeah. <laughs> incredible. Um, I just really like how he came out and he looked really determined. He was seven and nine from two point range, which is not something, you know, Tatum is not the most efficient guy from two point range. He also was second in the game in drives, and I think most of them probably came in the first half when the game was still in doubt. Oladipo was first, but he also played all of garbage time. We came away with points, either Tatum scoring or a teammate, nine out of those 11 times. On the flip side, Butler drove 10 times. They did not score off a Jimmy Butler drive in that game, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's absolutely... That yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And it, like Butler's probably best strength on offense is his playmaking. He couldn't even make plays for other people off his drives. And Tatum, shout out to our guy, friend of the pod, Chris Forsberg, for this stat. Mm-hmm. Heat players were O of nine when guarded by Tatum, and he forced two turnovers. I mean, that is a pretty dominant two way performance by Jason Tatum. Uh and I think plus minus per game you know, is flawed, but I think it really showed that he was just by far the best player on the court, even without his three point shot falling, which I think 
hopefully bodes well as we go forward. How are you feeling on the Tatum game? Because I know in the playback, Jay was far way more down on it than I think you and I were. Yeah, there was some doubt around uh, his vibes, like the vibes weren't good enough with Tatum. And uh, I, I think he's vibing pretty well when he's finishing a plus 37. Um, so yeah. I'm happy with that. And he kind of, obviously, his three-point shot is somewhat d- diminished by the stinger or whatever his shoulder or neck injury is. But like to see him attack the zone as successfully as he did and, and like thinking back to all of our matchups against the Heat, in the last few years, particularly in the bubble and how the zone just completely discombobulated us. Suddenly, it's like a strong point for us and just get the ball right. to Tatum or Al at the free throw line and go to work. And there's so much movement off the ball happening to create an advantage in that position. And that's just such a relief because I was dreading the zone uh, coming into the series. And, you know, as it pertains to Tatum, he's he's spearheading that attack. So, yeah, did his yeah. Ma- he did his damage from uh, mid and short range. And and played really the game that he needed to play. He could have hit a few more threes, sure. Did he need to? Absolutely not. So, um, huge game from Tatum there. Yeah, and if he hits a few more threes, all of a sudden, that's 37, 9, and 5. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. an absolutely <laughs> monster game. So, 31, yeah. 9, 5 is pretty damn good, especially when you literally didn't get scored on on defense. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> incredible. <laughs> I would say dominant in in a word. Yeah. Um, yeah. A comment here from Reddit user Sam the Snowman. This is in the the next day thread. If the Celtics can shoot as poorly as they did last night and still wipe the floor with the other team, they should be in the NBA Finals. I really wish they could play like that nightly. However, I do recognize that injuries are making consistent play tough. Anyway, three game series now. We should be able to finish this in six if Miami continues to play this poorly, uh, which is unlikely. So, as that pertains to game four, which we'll hang on for a little bit here, Spoons. Sure. Was it, was it more the Celtics playing well and, and limiting the Miami Heat? Was it the Miami Heat playing poorly or was it a little bit of both? I, I think, I, actually, I think it was mainly the Celtics really forcing the Heat into shots they do not want. So, that whole first quarter, right, the Heat couldn't buy a bucket, but they only shot 23 open or wide open threes in the entire game. And a lot of those I think came in the fourth quarter garbage time. And they ended up shooting like 45 or 50% on those open and wide open threes. So like they outshot us from three, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We just didn't give up that many of them. Like 23 is not a big number. Celtic shot 30 of them, you know, seven more open or wide open threes is a pretty sizable advantage. Um, but we were forcing them into these like weird floater range, weird mid range shots. And like Lowry's just not a consistent source of making those shots anymore. Butler can make them, but you know, it's just bad offense. Really? That's the shot you want to force the other team to take. And that's like all they could find in the first half of this game Uh, And I really think it was the big difference was Horford and Robert Williams being out there because what it did was allow Horford to basically say, I'm on BAM, I'm just going to lock his ass up, and I don't also have to worry about being the primary rim protector, which he does when it's him and Grant Williams out there. It's almost like he's got two jobs, cover BAM, be out there on switches, and also get back and protect the rim with with Rob out there. It's like, I'll just cover Bam, do my stuff on switches, 
And I know if someone else gives up a straight line drive, Rob is going to be there. I can try to get into rebounding position. And it just makes that this defense so absolutely absurd. I mean, it just like they Miami looked absolutely helpless in that first quarter. And I really do like they did miss some open shots. But when you only get an open shot like once every 10th possession, it's hard to make them. You're not in a rhythm, yeah. right? That's why, like, it's a game of runs because you get a bunch of open shots, you start feeling good, uh, and we just never allowed that. Like, I cannot remember mm-hmm. them stringing three good possessions in a row. No, with the exception of maybe Victor Oladipo in it for a yeah. small stretch there. But, yeah, like, there was a lot of people saying, Heat fans in particular after the game, oh, we missed a lot of bunnies at the rim, but such a high percentage of their shots were brutally uncomfortable. The Celtics made them so uncomfortable and forced them into, like he said, a lot of shots they were not comfortable taking. When they do finally get those looks at the rim, mildly or even not contested looks at the rim, yeah, they're not in that rhythm. They're not making them. And and in that discomfort that the Celtics created for the Heat, I was really impressed with the pick and roll defense. Like first yes. couple of possessions of the game for Miami, they went to that and they were spamming it throughout the first quarter. And then they went away from it, obviously, because it wasn't working. The Kyle Lowry, ball handler, Bam Adebayo, roll man, pick and roll. And Al Horford was just positioning himself so perfectly. He was dropping, drop, but too. Not, it- not too far and like still yeah. able to come up on Lowry or Bam and contest the three or the mid-range shot. And they just had nothing. And then they'd swing the ball and go elsewhere. And then you'd have Rob you know, hanging back, defending the rim there. And they just had they had no response for the Celtics defense. So a timely reminder that that double big lineup that we're all shitting on for like the first quarter of the season, <laughs> actually amazingly good. With, <laughs> so with good reason, back. I will say. Yeah. Uh, it, it was like Al did such an incredible job. It was like he guarded two people for like a second. And that gave the guy who was covering Lowry enough time to either contest from behind. I think we had two or three rear side blocks where they're behind the guy i know tatum Mm -hmm. at least had one in that exact same type of pick and roll coverage and then also the second they'd give it to bam horford was just in his jock strap uh and real quick on missing bunnies like yeah maybe you missed a layup but it's also hard to make a layup when you feel rob williams breath on your neck you know what i mean Uh when you're thinking in the back of your head like he's gonna swat this shit to jupiter isn't he you know and (laughs) that's a (laughs) big part of it i think yeah, I think I said uh, on the playback or a, a pod ago, like his impact is invisible sometimes because just his mere presence out there gets people thinking twice. It's like we see it with Embiid and stuff like that. Like, man, this is going to get swatted. And then you you finesse it a little bit too much or you shoot a little fine. And you miss a, a shot you should make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so on Rob Williams, this was um, submitted to the subreddit shortly after the game yesterday. Uh, Die Yuppie Scum 91 made a post saying the Celtics are four and one against the Miami Heat with Robert Williams III in the lineup this season. And they're going to say the one loss was game one of the Eastern Conference Finals when both Marcus Smart and Al Horford were unavailable. The Celtics right. are four and oh against the Heat this season when both Rob and Al are available. Um, so I, I guess curbing that to the remaining series here, how confident are you that Rob Williams is going to come back played 18 minutes in game four seemed to suffer a mild strain or injury of some kind maybe yeah. a re-aggravation but got a lot like he got to start his rest before anyone else in the series did um so how does that bode from your perspective going into game five i i think that's that i didn't know that uh that we were four and one with rob in the lineup but after watching that game it makes a ton of sense i 
I think that's the one thing that can hurt us. I think you kind of said it at the top, Ben, like Derek White is not as good as Marcus Smart, but he does a decent impression, right? He does a pretty good impression. There's just not many people in the league like Rob Williams. Uh, and uh, he's just super important. I think at this point, like we're deep enough in the playoffs. It's like swelling be damned, man. Like as long as there's no chance of like long-term structural damage, you just got to play through some pain, man. Take that cortisone shot, toss some painkillers in your mouth and get out there, Rob, because we need him. We clearly need him. We just look like an oh, yeah. entirely different team on both ends. And I think you saw it offensively, too. Al had two oops to him. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. so beautiful with him out there. He can punish how aggressive Miami is uh, with those kind of backdoor lobs, and it just creates an entirely different dimension. Celtics had 11 blocks in this game. The rim defense was <laughs> absurd. That's Al crazy. had four of them. And yeah. I think uh, at least two of them, like you said, Spoons, were those trailing blocks from behind. I think Time Lord had two as well. Tatum had two. So, you know, Tatum is a, a big, long, athletic player as well. Right. So, you know, the Heat are just seeing all of that size when they get into the paint. Shades of that Milwaukee defense against us, really, in, in the prior right. round, which is really good to see. Um, something that has swung our way in the last couple of games and will be a factor throughout the rest of the series is the refereeing and how they call the game. And we've got this yeah. comment here from Chick Speak who said, the Heat defense is gambling on the ref, not calling the fouls on overly aggressive ball pressure and reaching. They're using the hands instead of the body to defend us. They're less talented and have to use this to exert defensive pressure on us. Last night, the refs called those fouls but we should sell this type of contact in the following games as well. They can't stop us without fouling. Um, what are your thoughts on that comment and the, I guess the refereeing in this series overall? So I agree totally with every sentence until, but we should sell this type of contact in the following games as well. So I think that's what we tried to do in that disastrous third quarter in game one is Tatum Tatum and Brown were getting whacked. I mean, they were getting hit. They were getting fouled, and they were trying to get in there and sell it and get to the line, get them in the bonus. And the refs just weren't calling it, and we they turned into live ball turnovers, and that's why that all snowballed on us. So I think, look, the refs are either going to let them get away with it or they're not. I don't think mm-hmm. you change your approach in how the game's being refereed, unless we know Scott Foster's out there calling everything, then you can start selling it. But until we know that for sure, yeah, the extender, baby, uh, best guy <laughs> on the court last night. But uh, I, uh, I I, just don't think you can go into a game being like, I'm going to get into the lane the second I feel contact, I'm going to whip some wild shot or pass up to try and sell that contact. I think that's a dangerous way to play ball. Yeah, I agree. But if if it's now from this point onwards going forward, if the refs are going to take the heat out of the way they play basketball, that's so huge for us. Like we, we might Massive. almost definitely win this series if that's the case, um, because they've been might almost definitely. <laughs> I, I can't say yes. I've got a wooden desk here. I'm touching it. Um, I mean, that's, that's how they've been troubling us historically, yeah. not just in this series, but for years on end now. And if suddenly it's like, well, you can't do that anymore. And we're going to make it a skill-based game and not a game of physicality, then that hugely benefits the Celtics. So another problem with refereeing this post-series, post-season rather, has been consistency in how they call games. So it's not like we can confidently conclude that's how it's going to be from here on in. We just have to hope that the uh, the great extender, <laughs> Scott Foster, continues to favor us uh, going forward. 
Any more notes on that before we move on? We've got a couple of other player performances to get to. Yeah, real real quick. I just want to say, like, P.J. Tucker cannot stay in front of Jason Tatum. So the only <laughs> way he's stopping him is by using his hands. And if he's allowed to do that, I think in game three, you saw, like, P.J. Tucker got away with everything on Tatum. And mm-hmm. it, Tatum let it get to his head. That's why I don't think you should count on that contact being called. But it takes away the only guy that can even kind of guard Tatum if they're calling yep. him for those like reach ins and those push fouls uh, and the off ball. I mean, he was just like grabbing Tatum's jersey at times in game three. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it like how this series will be called um, is going to play a factor, unfortunately. But that said, if it's not getting called, we need to play that way, too. Like we're strong. We're physical. We can do that. We can reach in if they're going to let us get away with it too, do it. It's hard to play offense when there's three people slapping your arms every time you go to the rim. <laughs> we know that because the heat stopped us in two games doing that. So we need to do that, too, and not bitch about it happening to us. Let's just take advantage of it on the other end. Yeah. And if for no other reason than just to get back on defense and to limit yeah. their transition offense. Part So much of it is, unfortunately, Tatum is meant to be the leader of the pack here. He's just hanging back. I'm not saying anything new here. Throwing his arms up in the air and yep. allowing at least a four on five or a five on four advantage there, which has to stop. But um, yeah, going to be interesting to see how the referee plays out for the rest of the series. We should talk about Derek White, who started at point guard. Marcus Smart looked pretty mobile, like pretty pretty healthy on the bench, getting <laughs> up there for, for some applause. Not at the Malik Fitz level, but uh, but you know halfway there. Derek White, four of fourteen from the floor, one of eight from three, which equates to twelve point five percent. Got to the line for six attempts uh, and finished the plus 15. I, I think, Spoons, that I, I was pretty happy with the Derek White performance. Helps that we won the game in such convincing fashion. But particularly early on when he was aggressive and we got out to that 7-0 lead, we're saying in our playback stream, oh, it's the Derek White game. And it became yeah. like less and less of a joke there for a little while. Uh, what were your thoughts on his game overall? Uh, I, I think if you... Derek White's not the... T- he's like smart in that you don't focus on his field goal percentage to really appreciate Mm -hmm. what he's bringing to the game. He also had six assists, three steals. Um, So I thought he acquitted himself very nicely. He's taken wide open threes. He's got to shoot those. You just hope one of these days, you know, it would be very nice if game five, he finds a shot a little bit. Um, But, you know, it's tough to come in and get jerked around between like you know, playing a bunch as the starter and that when smarts out and then playing a lot less in a different role and then coming back in against an entirely different team in the heat. So I thought he did everything we needed from him. Obviously, his defense was very solid, got to the line a little bit. And, you know, the best thing about White is he just moves the ball. He, it doesn't stick in his hands. He keeps it going. And you can break Miami down because they're so aggressive attacking the strong side that if you move the ball quick we saw a lot of plays where it was like ping it around the perimeter somebody's got an advantage ping it back around the perimeter um and two of those led to the horford rob williams lobs uh and that's just if you're playing offense like that against miami you're going to find some success and i think white was a big part of kind of setting that tone last night so i really liked his game even if it wasn't perfect and i don't think maybe we'll ever see a perfect Derek white game but that's okay <laughs> he's still a solid contributor 
Even with all of the variables with Derek White and how his play is sort of up and down, and we talked about the refereeing being up and down as well, did you get a sense from this game that the Celtics solved the heat at all? And like, does that feed into your confidence going into game five? I don't think you can ever solve a Spolstra team. Uh, And I think that's what scares me. Uh, is that who knows what he's, you know, he might run like a one, three, one full court press next game and get like three quick steals off it. And all of a sudden they've got their confidence back. Like you just never know with him. And that's, I I think that we saw if they do what they did last night, run their offense with that kind of goofy Lowry, bam, pick and roll when Lowry's just really a zero. I mean, he was bad, really bad last night. Uh, at least on offense. So I think that, you know, Spolster is going to try some shit and we've got to be ready to adapt as quickly as we can. So I I hesitate to say we solved the Miami Heat ever at (laughs) any point. And I think the 2020 series, man, like that's no better evidence of that than that series when we outscored them and lost in six. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I mean, we're right back at that juncture now, right? We need two, yeah. two games. Each team needs two games to, to make it to the finals and uh, certainly feel better, I think, than I remember feeling at the same point in 2020. Uh, but it's hard to say because there are other things going on in the world uh, that were much more new and fresh. I'm talking about the pandemic, obviously, um, at that time. Thanks. Before we finally move on, uh, Peyton Pritchard, we've got to talk about Pritchard, five for eight from the floor, three of six from three, and just exuding confidence. He's maybe the smallest person, you know, in the competition right now. Um, but he's got this big swing and dick that uh, he, he does. Hey, this is a big good time pee-pee. for me to segue to my Manscaped ad. Sweaty sack summer is approaching and it's time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. I've had the honor of testing out these new boxes and I can say that it's the softest fabric of any underwear. So breathable that it's like gills for your groin. They even trademarked the jewel pouch, so you know that it's serious. I think it's time you invest in your family jewels, so let your bulge breathe and get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code CRPOD at manscaped.com. I've switched up my rotation. I'm now in Manscaped boxes seven nights and seven days a week. Not that you wanted to know that, but anyway, let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that Manscaped logo on the waistband of your underwear. It's almost guaranteed to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on the highway to Pleasure Town. This is thanks to their Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming. This trimmer offers skin-safe technology designed to trim hair on loose skin. Outside of just ball trimming, they're now focusing their efforts on helping out your thigh slappers in other ways with the game-changing boxes. These boxes' features include the Jewel Pouch, a pouch designed to cradle your boys in their own special space, lined with perforated performance fabric to keep them well-ventilated. Basically, just imagine your balls sipping pina coladas, chilling on a hammock on some tropical beach somewhere. The micro-modal fabric is buttery soft and breathable, keeping your cucumber cool. Walk, run, strut, these moisture-wicking boxes breathe without breaking a sweat. The tagless waistband hugs your body without digging in and it lays flat against your skin to reduce chafing. And the front fly opening gives easy access and makes bathroom breaks quick and efficient. You can choose from an arrangement of designs and colors and sizes range from small to 3XL. So if you want to support yourself and support the podcast, get 
20% off and free shipping with the code CRPOD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code CRPOD at manscaped.com. Once the boxes 2.0 touch your sack, you'll never go back. Peyton Pritchard, 14 points. He did finish a minus six, but he did play in some of that uh, garbage time towards the end of the game. Thoughts, Spoonie, on, on Peyton Pritchard? So, I, I think Pritchard just, if you can't punish him on defense, which they absolutely did not do last night, he's mm-hmm. going to roast your ass, man, which is insane <laughs> to say about, like, you know, he's so diminutive. And, you know, he he's just like a little asshole bulldog. And I love everything about <laughs> how he plays the game. And his jumper is just so pure now, man. Like, I, every time he shoots, I think it's going in. Like, even he... It's like busting step backs from four feet behind the line. I'm like, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it makes zero sense. And I think he's starting. I-, I wrote about this a little bit, but the way he plays off Tatum is just so hard to guard. Those two really have like a beautiful chemistry. Tatum always looks for him. Uh, you can tell he really trusts him. And for a second year guard that was a late first round pick, it's you know, I went into this playoffs thinking, I don't know how playable R- Pritchard's going to be in the playoffs, especially in the Eastern Conference. Fi- this dude is like balling out in the Eastern yeah. Conference finals. You know how crazy that is? Man? There's like only there's a small tier of players who can do that. You know, like Caleb Martin, dude looks unplayable almost in the and He's a, had a great year. He had a very solid mm-hmm. year. And Pritchard, like, it's almost like we can't keep him off the court at times. He's playing so well. So I'm honestly just kind of, like, shocked in, a, in the best way possible with how, <laughs> yeah, with how he's played. I mean, do you feel like when he comes in, it's like, oh, like, I get this feeling. It's like, oh, good, Pritchard's in. Like, which is not yeah. something I ever thought I'd say. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like a boost off the bench. And as long yeah. as we're not seeing uh, that sort of uh, defensive exploitative factor executed by the Heat, which so far we're not on a regular basis, uh, it's such a nice counterbalance from Derek White when they, they take yeah. White to the bench, bring in Pritchard, and suddenly it completely changes the shape of our approach to offense. And, right. you know, you were calling this out in the playback stream as well, Spoon, some really good scram switches to get him out of trouble if he does get stuck on Bam or on Jimmy in the post. And as long as we're able to do that somewhat consistently, then really we're just in a position where we purely benefit off his offense and we're able to mitigate his defensive struggles. It's great. And yeah, I said big swing a dick. Like that's absolutely the case. Like he doesn't look afraid at all. If anything, he looks eager on the bench to like put me in the game, coach. Like I'm ready to go. I want to fuck these guys up. And he's doing it. Like the only thing that's limiting him are his minutes essentially. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, they went at him in game one with Butler, and Butler was feeling himself in game one. I mean, he's been up against Butler a few times, and I don't think he's, like, done bad. He at least stays Mm -hmm. in front of him, doesn't foul, and makes him shoot over him, and that's a tough shot. Like, Pritchard will get up into you, man, Uh, and... You know, as long as he's not getting blown by, Bam is the one I really am concerned about with the switch because Bam will just put him into the basket and dunk it. But uh, as long as you're staying in front of Butler, he might muscle you here and there. He might hit a fadeaway over you, but we can honestly even live with that. If Butler's going to drop 30 on mid-range jumpers over our guys, you just tip your cap. Like that game one almost is starting to feel kind of like an anomaly, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I hope you're right. Um, yeah, me too. We, we, should shift to, <laughs> um, we should shift to game five. It's on Wednesday or, or Thursday in my little corner of the globe. Say Marcus Smart comes back. Like I, I said, he did look somewhat mobile. Like he didn't look like yeah. he had a you know broken ankle or a severely fractured or uh, even sprained ankle on the bench there. Say Rob Williams benefits from only playing 18 minutes. He comes back as well. The rest of our lineup, except for Sam Hauser, is all healthy. And then you consider- there's a, a knee inflammation issue with Jimmy Butler. There's a groin issue with Tyler Hero. Um, there's a lingering hamstring issue with Kyle Lowry. I think the Heat might be more injured than we are, which is insane because yeah. we're always the more injured team, seems like ever. Right. Um, how do you, like, how, I guess, like, I sort of asked you this at the beginning of the podcast, but how are you feeling about game five in a vacuum? Do you think we can rip one off here and then come back home to tie it off in, uh, in game six at home? Here's my concern with game five. What I don't want to happen is what's happening with Kyle Lowry. You feel like you have to play him because he's one of your best players, but he's clearly not healthy, so he's not actually playing well. Right? Yep. I don't I'm afraid of that. I I like Marcus Smart's a warrior. He is going to go out. He's going to play if he can. And if he's hurting the team cuz he's playing hurt, that could submarine us. Um I I you know Smart rarely hurts the team, especially this year and nowadays, but I'm not necessarily blaming him. Just like if you're hurt and you're trying to play in the Eastern Conference Finals and you play poorly, like you don't get many more games to make that up, right? Like one Mm -hmm. we've seen in this series, one bad quarter and you could lose a game. So that's really my big concern is like you need to play through stuff. I said Rob needs to play through stuff. Um, and I agree, I think Smart will play through this, and I expect he will be good, but there is this lingering doubt in my head. It's like, what if those two dudes play and aren't healthy and hurt us? You know what I mean? Because I, I do think that's happened with Lowry. So it, I don't I have I don't know about you, Ben, but I just have zero idea what's gonna happen in this series, man. I have yeah. no, like the Milwaukee <laughs> series, I was like, we're the better team. If we're making our threes, we're going to win this series. And I was I said that from game one to game seven. This series, I have no fucking clue, dude. I have really no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of hate this series. Like, I'm not having yeah, as much too. fun as I was with the other ones. And, you know, we're tied. The Nets like especially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but the Bucks just felt like you could tell we were in the midst of one of those legendary series while it was happening. Yeah. And there was whether win or lose, there was something nice about that. First of all, I, I think if we ever do rename this podcast, we should name it Lingering Doubt, which is huge for us, especially <laughs> you and me, Spoons. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I would like to see Marcus Smart just available to play this game. Yeah. Maybe he starts the game with the understanding between him and the coaching staff and the rest of the team. Like, we're going to pull you if it's not looking good, and then we're going to use you for your six fouls, and we're going to use you in certain situations. But like, ultimately, we're going to do what's best for the team. And if Derek White or Peyton Pritchard are playing better or giving us more in that moment, we're going to go with them. And I think with what's at stake, you'd like to think that that's okay among all parties there, particularly Marcus Smart. Um, Yeah. Other than that, I'm starting to like the every other day factor more now. Like obviously it's brutal for everybody, but if suddenly that starts to swing to advantage us a little bit, as we saw pretty hugely diminished, you know, performances from a lot of the top heat players there, I'm starting to feel good about game five. And if you can, this sounds bad, but kick them while they're down from an injury perspective, <laughs> steal game five in Miami and go back yeah. 
not only with the opportunity to, to win at home in Boston in six games, but you've got like a backup chance, I guess, to go back to Miami and potentially win it in seven. That's huge. Got- so, two wins away yeah. from the finals, two very likely wins. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to like restrain myself a little bit, Spoons, but I am getting very excited. Yeah, I mean, we should get excited, dude. It's not every season your team is in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's awesome. It should be exciting. It's also terrifying because you also <laughs> don't know when you'll be back, you know? And yeah. we saw that last season. Um, you know, these chances are fleeting, man. And you may never, like, Durant, Harden, Westbrook, Never went back to the finals together. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm worried about. But one thing on the injury front, I think we're kind of reaping the benefits of Jason Tatum being an absolute Iron Man. Like he's hurt (laughs) and he's dropped 31, nine and and five. Like he's clearly playing hurt, but he that dude is just like built different. And I don't I hate that phrase and I'm sorry I used it, but it's true <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> like, he's just like gets crumpled to the floor five times a game when he drives and he just pops back up like, oh, make these two free throws. It's like, what is yeah. up with this dude? <laughs> he like never misses games and like he absolutely has to. He's playing 40 minutes a game the entire second half of the season. And he's still out there locking people up and not allowing a point in, you know, game four of the Eastern Conference Finals. It's pretty wild. I think that's an underrated um, benefit of Tatum just as a player and like part of his value as a player that we don't really appreciate uh, Mm -hmm. enough, I think. Yep. And touch wood again, just to remove any potential jinxes caused by that statement, Spoons. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Jason I can't believe I said that. What am I doing? What are you thinking? (laughs) We're going to cut that from the pod. Um, Yeah, right. (laughs) Speaking of Jason Tatum, and I've been refreshing Twitter and Reddit here. There's no news yet, but we are anticipating the release of the all NBA teams really any moment now, probably right after we publish the podcast. No Um, doubt. No doubt. I'm thinking NBA first team for Tatum. Uh, it just seems right. Like he had a, a fantastic season and, and where the team has ended up and just his role in the team and as a like an all-star figurehead within the Eastern Conference, within within the NBA, really. Um, yeah. Are you confident in an all-NBA first team berth there for Tatum or are you thinking more along the lines of second team? Yeah, I uh, at some point I saw like a third of the votes had been cast and he was pretty comfortably first team. So I, I fully expect him to be first team. I think he deserves it. I mean, part of it is like Kawhi was hurt. Paul George was hurt. But I mean, he ended up he had a wonderful year on both sides of the ball. And even like he got his shooting numbers back to respectable, too. I think he ended mm-hmm. at like 35 percent from three. And he couldn't throw it in the ocean for the first half of the season. So it just kind of goes back to how incredibly hot and how incredibly good he was leading that unprecedented second half turnaround as we sit here in the Eastern Conference Finals after basically burying this team in January when I had Matt Penny (laughs) on. Uh, So (laughs) it's really incredible. I think he deserves all first team for sure, like without a doubt. I think so too. And, you know, we'll uh, record, pre-record our reactions to a, a all second team uh, birth later, just in case we need to slip that into the pod, uh, you know, afterwards, <laughs> after we've published it. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, you think about the season and, and him making the first team within the context of the season and talking about trading for Bradley Beal feels like lifetimes ago. Like, remember when that yeah. was the priority? And now we, we we wouldn't dream of it. Like we have no Why? room for a player like Bradley Beal on this team. Yeah, much prefer Marcus Smart, which feels crazy to say, but it also feels <laughs> right to say. 
Um, so look forward to celebrating that. I, I will say that the one benefit, if you could call it that, of Tatum making second team is that would likely spur him on and motivate him to have an epic performance in game five and six and seven if it comes to that. You know what's we? I actually think the opposite with Tatum. Okay. He all it seems like when he gets his proper due and props, he like responds positively to that. Like every time he makes the all-star team, he goes ape shit for the rest of the season. I don't know. It uh-huh. it's bizarre. <laughs> it's almost like he's like once he gets disrespected, he's like, Oh shucks. Like, oh yeah. man, I didn't make all NBA. And then he comes out and like is trash to accent. start the season. Yeah. For some reason he's now yeah, South St. Louis is pretty far down there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. But <laughs> so uh when he gets his like due in his props, it seems like he just goes nuts. He's like, that's right. I'm recognized. Now I'm gonna show you why you're all correct. And it's like Kind of yeah. bizarre because I'm not really wired that way. I don't think most people are. So no. um, either way, hey, and, uh, you know what? If he makes second team, I'm going to be like, yeah, this will spurn him. You know, he'll be pissed that he's going to go out and crush it. <laughs> and if he makes first team, I'll be like, yeah, that's exactly what I said on the podcast. He's going to crush it. So either way, I think he's going to kill it. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. Yeah, right. All right. Well, that news should come out shortly. And that's going to do it for this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can catch us live in our playback stream during game five, where you can watch the game with us live and chat with us throughout the game. Wayne Spoonie, love your work, mate. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.